Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Recently, the New York Times wrote an article titled How to Run Like a Girl that explores the differences between women and men who run. One of the experts the Times interviewed for the story was physical therapist Blaze Williams, who studies running mechanics at Virginia Commonwealth University. Relatively speaking, running mechanics is a new area of research. Much is still unknown. But this much is clear. Men and women do tend to run differently. So how does a woman or man run, and what's the future for running science? That's what we talk about in this episode of Move Forward Radio. Here's our interview with physical therapist Blaze Williams. Blaze, we're going to talk about running mechanics, but before we do that, I want to give listeners a sense of how you encounter runners. So tell me first about the VCU Run Lab. Sure. The VCU Run Lab is, is kind of a unique entity in that uh, we really look at people in three different ways. Um, we're primarily a research venue, um, so people volunteer for a number of our population-based uh, research studies. And so oftentimes uh, they're just recruited or they're, um, they see flyers or we even use social media sometimes to get people to volunteer for our studies. Sometimes we, get, we have some money available to pay them um, for their trouble. But uh, that, that's probably the, the bulk of the people that we see. We also have an association with VCU Health where the VCU Run Lab functions as a clinic on uh, a couple of days per week. And those individuals are referred to us uh, by a handful of physicians who uh, know what we do at the lab. And um, so we can provide those very specific types of treatments or evaluations that we do. And then finally, um, we have people who pay to speak for service. So, again, they may have found out from their running group or uh, through word of mouth that we do provide those services, and so they can come in and um, uh, pay for that service. And the money that we take in actually goes towards – it's not gone into the health system. The, those dollars actually go into the lab, and so they can go into the day-to-day operations for the lab. primarily goes back to students. So. Um, it's a pretty nice model, um, and we're, we keep fairly busy with, with those three avenues of people coming in. So I think we're going to get to this a little bit later, but, but in a general sense, I can imagine listening to this and thinking, is running so complicated that it needs a whole lab? So, so what do you guys study? What's the, 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 the general thing you're trying to learn is what? The general thing we're trying to learn, you know, the overarching theme of this is that physical activity is good. And if people choose to engage in physical activity, a really easy way to do that is to run because you can strap on your shoes and you can get out there. And it really, like you said, is it really that complicated? Not, not at, its, at its essence. But what happens is, is as people continue to participate in it, about 50% of the people are going to get hurt at some point. And that takes away something that's very important to them, both physically and, and mentally. And so our goal is to really try to keep people out there, keep them physically active, and understand what are those factors, whether they be biomechanical, whether they be 
physiological, whether they be psychosocial, um, to try to keep them out on the road and keep them healthy. So when you do these studies, are you looking at sort of, you know, your your weekend warrior types? Are you looking at elite runners? Are you looking at somebody who maybe hates running but is willing to be studied studied running? I mean, who, who are your typical subjects? Uh, most Mostly the first two, not too many people who hate running unless uh, we've recruited some sort of graduate student and um, or, or undergraduate student and uh, um, are there reluctantly. But most of the time, it's um, we get quite a, a large number of weekend warriors, people who run because it makes them feel good or they run for physical activity. A lot of our uh, runners in, in the Richmond area, um, are females between the ages of about 35 and 50. It's a huge population of, of runners. And so, and that's good for me as someone who's, who is very interested in the, in the female athlete and the female runner. Um, but we have elite runners. We've had, um, Olympic level runners from, from the U.S. and from other countries. We've had, uh, professional sports figures from the NBA, NHL, NFL. It just depends, you know, kind of who shows up on our doorstep, but we're, we're capable of, of doing it all. And so just to finish painting the picture a little bit, so, you know, I'm sure you, it runs the gamut, but let's say I'm one of your test subjects. I, I walk in there. What what am I going to be asked to do, and, and what's, give me an example of something that you might study in a, in a specific case. Yeah, so the typical visit to the VCU run lab would consist of still, probably filling out some paperwork, whether you're a patient or whether you're a participant in the study. Um, doesn't take too long, just a few minutes of, you know, probably 10 minutes, a few questions to make sure that, you know, you fit either the criteria of the study or that you're healthy enough to participate in what we have you do. Then we're, um, and there'll be some questionnaires about your running history and how you're engaged in running and, and those kinds of things, how long it's been happening, uh, if, you've ha- if you're having an injury or th- something like that. Then uh, we will go through a very specific um, running-related physical exam. It's a physical therapy examination, but we've tailored it to the measurements that we feel are most important for the runner. That takes 10 or 15 minutes, and then we're able to get people up onto our treadmill. Um, We have an instrumented treadmill. Uh, It's instrumented with force platform, and then it has cameras, uh, three-dimensional cameras surrounding it. Um, takes us about five to seven minutes to place little reflective markers on your on your legs and trunk, and um, then you're able to get comfortable up on the treadmill and run for however long you need to. Um, if it's a if it's a research study, typically that's not longer than about ten minutes. If it's someone who's injured and maybe doesn't get start feeling pain until their second or third mile, then they might run for 15 or 20 minutes up on the treadmill. Once that's done, our uh, hardware and software has been customized such that by the time the patient gets off the treadmill and is able to get, you know, get the markers off of them and towel off, uh, we have a full report ready for them. Um, and that, that data is available at that point to review with the patient, um, to send to their physician or their coach or their parent or whoever might um, have an interest in that. And it's also there then documented for us either as part of the study or it can go into um, their medical record. And so based on that, what's, what kind of data am I going to see? And then I guess the, the, the next question that goes with that is, 
what can that really teach me? So it's, in other words, it's one thing for you to tell me, like, well, you pronate, for example, if, that, if that's one of the data points. Can I, can, is that valuable information to me as a runner? How much of the information that I get can I kind of take action on? And that's a great question because there's a lot of people out there who are, you know, providing quote-unquote gate analyses from uh, your running shoe store to sophisticated scientists. And often uh, times what you see from the sophisticated science labs are pages upon pages of graphs, which often times, again, it may be meaningful to the researcher. It may even be meaningful to the clinician, but when you show it to the, the actual patient, or the, or the physician, for that matter, it, it gets lost. So what we've done is we've actually taken our report and we've boiled it down into a, a format that basically looks like a, like a blood test would look um, when you get you know, your, your blood, blood results back. The variables that we've chosen, and I'll talk about that in a second, but the variables that we've chosen, if they're, if they're normal, they're going to fall within this little gray area and, and, and we have nothing to worry about. But then if it's too high or too low, then those are things that will auto-populate some, some data in the, in the report, and then I can and spend time uh, talking to the patient about that. All the variables that we've chosen are variables that have been shown to be partially or, or strongly related to running-related injuries in the literature. Um, so we've been very careful about the things that we've chosen. The, some of the other variables that we've chosen are variables that then we can, in fact, um, help that patient to make changes. So a very simple example of that would be stride frequency. And you may be familiar or, or with that where um, how many steps you take per minute when you run can have an impact on how much force goes through your legs. And we measure that. That's a simple thing to measure, but that's, that's one of the things that we measure that we could, we could make a change on. Things like crossing over midline, things like how much your hip drops, um, these are things that we know are potentially associated with running-related injuries, and we can then grab onto those things and create a running-specific physical therapy intervention that, that hopefully will help them improve their their symptoms or improve their performance, whatever it may be. So we're going to talk about mechanics here in a second, but I, I think that leads us to an important question. So. I'm, I'm assuming, based on the research that you've done, you're getting this this stronger and stronger sense of what essentially optimal running looks like. Um, but but then the question I have is, can I have the is that always correlated to pain? Can I have the worst running uh, gait of all time and be pain free? And can I have a pretty ideal running gait and be in pain? Absolutely. That's what's the sort of holy grail or the you know the, the the missing the missing link here because these are things that are not 100 percent and we had a, a, a nice uh, socratic debate uh, i believe it was last year at our at our national meeting the combined sections meeting about is there an optimal gate pattern and if so should we be changing people trying to encourage people to change to this optimal gate pattern before they realize any injuries. And, and there's a debate out there among clinicians and among coaches as to whether or not that, that should or shouldn't happen. I'm kind of of the mindset that there, there's probably several optimal gait patterns, and it sort of depends on who you are and, and what, what you've got. You know, there's structure uh, that relates to function that relates to injury, and the more variability you have in that system, the more likely 
or maybe the more capacity you have to to be able to adjust for for things that might be injurious. Um, and on the one hand, you might get injured with that certain set of criteria, and I might not. So what is it that that keeps that from happening? Um, and it's just there's too many factors for us to say with a with, with certainty that that we can that you should do this 100% of the time. So I think that leads us nicely into the larger conversation. And and one of my guesses is that when you talk about potentially there being multiple kind of ideal ways to run, that that it might be based on the the build of the person who's doing the running. Um, You were recently quoted in a New York Times story called How to Run Like a Girl. And that article approached the topic with the idea that women who run have different advantages and disadvantages compared to men who run. Um, now, the most obvious difference, of course, is that some women who run are either pregnant or recovering from pregnancy and childbirth. Um, but taking that kind of extreme example aside, just how different in general are women who run and men who run from your perspective? They're very different. For me, if you were able to just put, put some, some graphs or some data on, on a page, Without identifying those individuals, it would be very simple for me and people who look at runners all often to, to identify a female running versus a male running. In fact, there's been um, some interesting little uh, social experiments um, where you look at a figure, um, like a stick figure running, uh, and you can determine, the average person can determine whether that is a, a male or a female walking or running. Um, so there's very distinct global um, characteristics that, that women display that are different than what men display. And as we talked about in the article, some of those things can be can be advantageous, but some of them can, of course, be more detrimental. So before we get to the advantages or disadvantages, potentially, let's just talk about the differences. So if you're looking at those charts or you're looking at those stick figures, uh, what differences are you going to see? What's going to jump out? Usually, the, the main differences that I would see are probably going to be at the hip, uh, in, in and around the hip and pelvis area, where the pelvis is going to be sort of anteriorly tilted, sort of the belly button tilted down, or if you want to think of it, the butt kind of sticking out a little bit more. The hips are going to sway or drop more when you when you stand on a single limb. So running is a series of jumping from one leg to the other. Um, when you land on, on one leg, you have to try to maintain your your hips in a more stable way, and um, females seem to have a harder time with that, keeping their hips stable. They they drop or or collapse, and then that has implications further down the chain. So they tend to just look a little bit. Uh, the average female, we're talking about the average runner who's out there, they tend to just look a little bit more flexible or compliant as they run. Women also, as a whole, are shorter than men, and so. They tend to take shorter steps, and uh, that can be a positive for them. So, you know, you mentioned flexibility. So as we start to talk about advantages and disadvantages, I hear that, and I think, okay, I'm supposed to be flexible. So flexibility in a runner, good thing, bad thing, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad thing. Yeah, it depends. So your average, um, we'll use kind of some extreme examples. Um, Lee's a 14-year-old female uh, high school runner. Um, a flexibility, a lot of flexibility typically in, in those young ladies, and that requires then that they provide stability through muscle activity. Um, and if they don't have good muscle activity, muscle development at that time, which many of them don't, 
they're going to have a lot more mobility, and that can place stress on tendons and ligaments. On the exact opposite end, you've got your 60-year-old male who's got super tight hamstrings and super tight hips and um, not a lot of flexibility in their feet. Um, they're going to hit the ground, and there's not too much spring in that system that's going to absorb those forces. And so the forces get absorbed at the joint level, and that can be uncomfortable or painful um, in those individuals. So somewhere in the middle, there's the right amount of flexibility, and, and we don't really know what that is, and it seems to be different for men and women. We've published a couple papers on that that subject on uh, how men and women differ in their flexibility, and even when a flexible male and a flexible female are compared, there's still some distinct differences in how they move. So jumping beyond those those differences in how they move or how the, how uh, men and women are, are built in the first place, um, and just jumping right to probably what the runner cares about, which is injuries and pain. Are there injuries that are more common in women than men, and vice versa? Yeah, there's a number of papers out there that have tried to address that, and um, it, it doesn't seem that anything really comes out, um, at least in the longitudinal studies that, that people have looked at. Knee injuries are by far the the largest, most common injury that we that we see in runners, whether it's patellofemoral pain or patellar tendonitis, or even just general anterior knee pain. And females do seem to have a larger proportion of that. But the, there's nothing really says women are more likely to get this than men. But everyone gets knee injuries, and women seem to be a little bit more at risk of getting getting the knee injuries than men. So there's been some some studies I know related to how women say approach an endurance endurance event versus men, and, and I think some of this leads to potentially some of the differences in terms of how women and men may be better prepared uh, for endurance events. But um, that leads me to: Do you see when you treat patients differences in how uh, female runners and male runners approach their injury recovery, or do you see consistency there? Well, it's definitely not consistent. You know, women tend to be a little bit smarter about these things, um, particularly women who are are in the demographic that we see that are in their 35, 35 to 50-year-old range. They they tend to know what their bodies are telling them. They tend to be a little bit more in tune with their bodies and a little less stubborn when it comes to, I can push through these things. So the women tend to be, in in, in my practice and the, and the people that I, I see, women tend to be um, make the decision to come to the doctor, to the physical therapist a little bit sooner, not because they're wimpier, but because they realize that they need to get in there. The sooner they get in there, the quicker they're going to recover, whereas men typically would push through or on the other end of rehab try to get back to running more quickly than the females will. So um, they're just they're more intelligent about uh, what's happening with their bodies and, and seem to listen to their bodies a little bit better. And that helps them on a recovery standpoint, but I think one of the studies you're you're alluding to is that women don't tend to, to push themselves quite as hard when they're training for endurance events, and so there there's a lot of people that say that women potentially, uh, the average woman is going to potentially underperform uh, when it comes to what their potential is. So given the, the differences, uh, or even regardless of the differences between women and men, when we're talking about women runners specifically, are there certain things that, that given the, the 
they're more likely build and make up that they should be focused on in terms of exercises and behaviors to prevent injuries? Are they special in any way, or is it universal in terms of prevention for men and women? Well, going back again, prevention, let's be careful there. Um, you're going to hear that a lot of times that people say, if you do this, it's going to prevent injury. There's nothing that we know of out there so far that says that if you do this, it will prevent injury. One of my colleagues says the only way to prevent running-related uh, injuries is not to run. So, and, and so I think we have to be careful with that. But women tend to be, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a little bit weaker in and around their hips. And so the strength that they can gain around their hips and their gluteal muscles, your, your gluteal muscles in the back and your gluteal muscles in the side. And then you mentioned earlier about, about pregnancy. After pregnancy, because of all the distension and stretching that goes on in your abdominal muscles, the abdominal muscles get stretched out and weak. And so there's a lot of opportunity to strengthen the muscles, um, not only the your six-pack in the front, but the muscles on the side, your abdominal obliques and your transverse abdominis, those are muscles that women, uh, especially after pregnancy, could can really benefit from to provide that stability that they need in their in their hips when they run. So you see all sorts of runners um, who I'm sure have all sorts of problems. What are the most common mistakes you see them make? Um, whether they're talking about their their approach to running or recovery, or just their their mechanics themselves. I think the biggest mistake that people make, and this has been kind of documented over the years, is that they, they do too much too fast. They they start in a training program and they get ahead of themselves and they and they build up their mileage too quickly or they um push through an injury uh very early on without without getting strong. Um one of the things that we do to test a lot of our runners either whether they're recovering or if they come to us and say, I'm thinking about running a half marathon, but I wanted to check to make sure my mechanics are good or I'm, I'm in good shape. One of the first things we'll do is uh, we have a running readiness scale that's going through a validation process right now. But this scale is something we've been using clinically for a few years, and, and it's a series of tests that we give to the runner to see if they can pass these basic basic tests, their basic strength and agility tests. And if they can pass those te- the, those six tests, then we feel like they're ready to at least start to start a progressive training program. But if they can't pass some of those things that assess hip strength and assess calf strength and assess some range of motion, we need to get those things in line first, get them sort of fit to get fit. Um, and and that's, a, um, uh, that's one of the things that we do clinically. So I think probably one of the biggest mistakes people make when they go to run is, they go beyond their means, and they don't they, they don't establish themselves as strong and flexible before they actually get out there and start training. That readiness exam is a great example of what I wanted to close out with. Um, it's running has become so popular; it's really easy to forget how relatively new jogging is as kind of a recreational way to exercise. Um, so that makes the science of running, which is what you're dealing with, you just a man. It's like a blink of an eye, basically, in, in terms of the, the broad history. Um, where where are you in in terms of understanding uh, running mechanics or uh, injury? Let's not use prevention. You know, injury risk reduction, things mm-hmm. like that. Where where are you right now? Where do you think you'll be in the next few years? 
I think we've come a long way. I mean, as you say, we've only really had the ability to to measure three-dimensional mechanics um, in the way that we currently do it well in in the past 20 years. I mean, it's, it, this is a fairly new area of, of discovery. Um, so I think we've learned a lot. I think that the equipment has become cheaper and more ubiquitous, um, and that allows us to take some of our clinical understanding and, and, and put some science behind it. And so we're getting there. If you look at the injury rates in runners, now versus what was reported 10 years ago and 10 years before that and 10 years before that. They haven't changed. <laughs> so uh, from a practical standpoint, at least if we're learning anything, we haven't put it into place well enough yet to prevent or reduce the injuries. I think with some of the technology that's that's um, on the forefront, I think we'll be able to understand a little bit more about the uniqueness of each runner um, by, by being able to, to study them not just in our laboratories, but potentially out in their own environment. We see some of that these days with, you know, Fitbits and things like that. But the, the technology is coming along much uh, at, a, at a really high rate. I, I heard something the other day that, that people feel like where we are with technology now is almost the, it's the next industrial revolution, that things are going to change that much in the next 10 years and the things that we'll be able to uh, study or or the information we'll be able to gather about all kinds of things is going to really go go up. So um, I think it looks good for us being able to at least understand these things better. So let me let you play fortune teller for just a second. This is this is one guy's guess, right? Um, yeah. But earlier you mentioned you know one of the beautiful things about running you strap on a pair of shoes and and go. Is is that the future, or are we talking about something where, I don't know, whether it's five years or five decades away, the people who are serious about running are strapping on complex wearables that tell them when they're straying from their optimal running motion and things like that to not only maximize their performance but avoid injuries? Are we moving toward something like that, or, or do you think running will probably likely remain something as simple as you need a pair of shorts and a pair of shoes and you're good? For me, I hope so. Um, but uh, understanding runners, there, there, and again, I don't know how. If you talk about today's runner, a lot of today's runners are still purists. Many of them don't don't run around with Garmin's, Garmin watches, and uh, you know they just want to get out there and move and feel good about it. And part of that's human nature, and I think that there will always be that that group of people. But there are those techies out there. We've got um, the next generation of, of people coming through who run, and they, they want to gather all kinds of data on everything. So I think it will probably be a little bit of a, a of a hybrid. You know, the purists will, will just stick with strapping on the shoes and, and maybe monitoring their heart rate, if that. And then there's going to be people who want to gather, gather a lot of data um, on themselves. Um, and uh, – that's the part that's exciting to me. Blaze Williams, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. For more running-related resources, go to moveforwardpt.com slash running. I'm Jason Bellamy. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.